0: So there was a man who worked his entire life and uh, saved as much money as he could um, because he loved money more than anything else. And uh, just before he died, he said to his wife, he said, he said, when I, when you bury me, I, I want you to take all of my money and I want you to put it in the casket with me. And uh, so she, the wife promised that she would and so he died, he, he, he passed away and uh, at the funeral, they, they finished up with the funeral and they were getting ready to close the casket and she stuck a box right inside the casket. And one of the wife's friends just walked up to her and said, now what in the world are you putting in the casket? And she said, well, he wanted me to take all of his money and, and put it in there with them. And so the wife's friend was just flabbergasted. She just couldn't believe it. She said, She said to the wife, she said, now, you're telling me you took all of that money and you're going to bury it with him uh, in the casket? And she said, yes. She said, I made a promise and I'm going to keep my promise. She said, besides, I just wrote him a check. (laughs) Good morning, everybody. So um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Malachi 3. Malachi chapter 3 and uh, I promise I won't do that anymore to you today. So uh, Pastor Mitch kicked off a series last Sunday that we are calling uh, Follow the Money and so what we're doing in this series just uh, this today and next Sunday is we're really just looking at this connection between money and and our hearts and so uh, I'm going to kind of develop that a little bit later but let me just kind of let me just kind of shoot straight with you right here from the beginning and and just kind of tell you Kind of where I'm coming from, you know. My goal as a pastor uh, is is really to preach and teach regularly uh, on money. Uh, I, I do that um, once a year or so, and so our church is not about money. That's not the focus of things here. And um, the reason why we like to preach and teach on what the Bible says about money is because, really, really, for me as your pastor, I just I just want you to walk in freedom and joy. And so my desire for you is for you to possess money and your money not possess you. That's what I want for you. Because you see, when you live in that, then you're able to walk in freedom and joy because you're not controlled and dominated by greed and by stuff and by just this overwhelming desire for money. So I want for you to experience freedom and joy. That's what I want. And so that's why... We preach and teach on money. And so, uh, so just know where, where my heart is. I, I don't do this because God needs your money. He doesn't. He, he already owns everything. And, and I don't do this because the church needs your money. Um, uh, we, we preach and teach this so that we can be reminded of the path of life. So now let me give you a little bit of context for what we're going to look at today in Malachi chapter 3. Uh, the people of Israel are returning from Babylon to Jerusalem. They're returning back to uh, their homeland. Uh, The Babylonians have ransacked Jerusalem and Judah. They have flattened it and they killed thousands of people in the process, the Babylonians did. And then the remaining portion of the people of Israel were shipped off into exile. And so what you have is about 70 years or so after that, Uh, permission was given to the Jewish people to come back into the land, to come back into Jerusalem and to begin to rebuild the, the walls and to begin to rebuild the temple. And so there was a huge renovation project going on in Jerusalem as the people were making their way back into their homeland. The problem was, is while the external renovation was going very, very well, and you can read about that in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, the, the real problem was the internal re- renovation was not going as well. And what I mean by that is as the people of God were doing this, they were really not walking in obedience to God in every area of their life. And one of the areas where this manifests itself is in their giving and generosity. And so what God does is he calls them out on it. He really just puts his, puts his finger right on the heart of the issue and challenging the people to obey him and to trust him. And so what we're going to read today in Malachi chapter 3 is really God confronting his people on their lack of real faith and obedience. So what I want us to do today, this is a well-known passage. So we're going to read verses 6 through 10 of chapter 3. And I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, would you please stand just out of reverence for the word of God spoken to us today. And so Malachi the prophet records God saying this, For for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed or not destroyed, in other words. From the days of your fathers you you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? until there is no more need. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. Now, what I see very simply in this passage, just three very simple movements in the passage. I think first of all, what we see is a problem and God calls them out with this problem. Then secondly, we see a priority. We see a priority that God highlights for us. And then lastly, the passage really ends with a promise. So I want, to, I want to spend a few moments today talking about the promise. So let's jump in and look first and foremost at the problem. All right, Look with me at verse 6. Notice, notice what God says to his people. He says, for I the Lord do not change. Now this is, this is really the preeminent verse on what we call the, the immutability of God. And the immutability of God just basically says that God's nature and character never change. That God is consistent and he's faithful in all that he does, in all that he is. He never changes. And so the author of Hebrews says it like this, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The author of James, James says that there's no shifting shadow with God at all. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So so really, God, what we're seeing here is God highlighting something about his character and nature that he never changes. Now, let me just kind of pause there, church, because I, I think that we can find tremendous comfort in that truth because we are living in a time of, of unprecedented change. And we, we have, we've gotten so acclimated to the warp speed of change that is happening all around us culturally and morally and politically and just in our society as a whole that we don't realize how quickly things are changing. And it's just really encouraging when you think about the fact that we can anchor our souls to a God who never changes. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that is really, really good news. Now, specifically what God is really highlighting here in verse 6 when he says, I, the Lord, do not change. He is really talking about his covenant love for his people. He's talking about the fact that God... That God always keeps his promises. He never never reneges on a promise. That he is faithful to keep his promises. He is steadfast in his love for his people. That's what he's talking about here. And uh, and so that's, that's the point that he's trying to make. Now this is where the problem enters. You see, while God never changes and he always keeps his promises, you really can't say that for God's people. That while God is consistent and faithful in who he is and in his character, the people of God, ah, not so much. At best, we are inconsistent and unfaithful. And so the people that he's talking to had changed. And the Bible reminds us that they had turned away from God in every area of their life. As they were making their way back, back into the homeland, as they were trying to rebuild their lives. And so, and so that's exactly exactly how this change is being expressed. They had turned away from God by not following the commandments of God. And so the people responded to the word of God by asking, well, how have we changed? And so God said, well, you've withheld your tithes and offerings. And so so basically God is putting Putting the spotlight right on their giving and their generosity. Now, now church, don't, don't miss this, because really what, what God is talking about here is He is drawing a connection between the people's money and their maturity. that He is drawing a straight line between their cash and their connection with God. And he is, he is reminding them that, look, you're not living in faith. You're, you're not living in, in generosity. You're not being stewards. It's interesting. You see this connection all the way through Scripture. You know, you can follow the money. You can, you can follow it from, from the cash to our connection with God all the way through. That's why there are almost a 1,000 verses in the Bible about how, how we handle money and about stewardship. Not only that, but it's interesting just to know that Jesus spoke more about about money than he did uh, about heaven or hell. Because this issue is so crucial. And the principle is this, that, that how we use our money and how we view our money and how we spend our money reveals what is most important to each and every one of us. It reveals where our hearts are. Now, what is the connection between money and maturity? What, what, is, what is this connection? Well, let me, let me just kind of highlight it this way. The only way we can come to God is by grace through faith. That's it. There is no other way to come into the presence of God than by grace through faith. We relate to God by faith. Another way of saying it would be this way. The Christian life is 100% a life of faith. It's not 80%. It's not 90%. It is 100% by faith. And so, and so get this. Just, just follow me on this. Faith is really trust. And trust is simply surrender. That's it. And, and so when we come to God in faith, we come to God in trust, we are actually coming to God in surrender and we're saying, God, take my family. I surrender my family to you. Take my job. I surrender my job to you. Take my future plans. I surrender my future plans to you. How about this one? Take my kids. Some of you moms are like, I would be glad to surrender my kids to the Lord. Maybe He can do something with them because I certainly can't, right? Take take my entire life, and then and then and then and then God take my money take my money now i would say that the challenge with surrender and money is that for a lot of us money is the last thing we we really come to surrender in our life and the reason why is because in in the back of our minds and the depth of our hearts we think somehow some way god is going to hold out on us that he's that he's going to he's going to miss something with us and we're going to go without and we have this fear and we have this insecurity we have this lack of faith and so it's it's really hard for us to surrender our money i mean let's just be honest about it and so what a clenched fist really reveals is a very shallow faith if there's faith at all and what a stinginess reveals is just spiritual poverty and so that's the problem that the people of God were dealing with in Malachi's day. And what, is, what was true in Malachi's day is true for the people of God even today. That's, that's exactly what we're dealing with in this passage. So, so let me just kind of go back to this whole concept that the Christian life is a life of faith. It's a life of trusting in God. I mean, think about this, church. We have trusted God for the forgiveness of our past sins. And we have trusted God to secure our, you know, our eternal future, right? All of that is by faith. Those were the hard things for God, and yet we have no problem trusting God for those things. And yet where our struggle comes is trusting God with, with the financial resources he's blessed us with in the present. And I will tell you, I would submit to you that the hard thing for God was giving up his son for you and for me. That was the hard thing for God. Taking care of us in the present is not hard for him at all. You know why? Because he has an unlimited supply. He owns He owns everything. And so God is really good at taking care of our needs if we will just really trust him, if we will just come to him in faith. Now, let me just try to illustrate this uh, you know, as as best I can here. So, so next spring and summer, we are going to resurface the parking lot of the church. And, uh, you know, we haven't done it in a long time. And, you know, you notice on the way out, um, it, it needs it. So we're going to resurface it. And what we're doing is we're setting aside funds to do that. And, um, and so we've really learned that when people come to church, they really like to bring their cars. This is an amazing thing. So, um, and so then they need a place to park them. So we're going we're to take care of that uh, in, in the spring. Now, here's what's fascinating. Do you know that in the new heaven and new earth, when God, when God takes the old heaven and the old earth and he restores it and he renews it, that's, that's what he's going to do. Do you know what he's going to pave the streets with? Gold. Gold, what we value the most. He's going to say, we'll just use that as asphalt in the new heaven and new earth. We're just going to pave those interstate highways, streets of gold. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? Can you imagine everywhere you go, the streets are paved with gold? Do Do you know what God is trying to communicate to us when he lets us in on that little picture of it, of the new heaven and new earth? What he's trying to communicate to us is this, all wealth And glory and honor and power belongs to him. And guess who are the sons and daughters of God? You are. We are. And guess who receives that huge glorious inheritance? An inheritance that Peter says can never perish, spoil, or fade. That is what you have access to right now. Church, the hard part was God giving up his son and he did it. The easy part is him taking care of you in the present. So trust him. That's what he's trying to say to his people. But there's a second movement here in this text. So we see the problem and then we come to the priority. And the problem was really caused by a neglected priority. You guys following me on this? They had neglected a priority. Look with me at verse 8. Look what God says about this neglected priority. He says, will a man rob God? Yes, you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and offerings, in your tithes and contributions. Now, Now, a tithe is just simply 10%. And so God had required that his people would give a 10%. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. That's what they were to to give, but they refused. They refused to walk in obedience to God. And so God says, you're robbing me. Now, can I just say that if you've got a rap sheet going, probably the one thing on your rap sheet that you don't want to have is you're stealing from God. That's probably not a recipe for success. You guys following me on that? Uh, I, 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 don't, I just don't think it's going to go well with you if you're, if you're stealing from God. I'm, I'm just saying about that. Now, I was reading this week. Uh, there was an article on the NBC News website, and this was from a few years ago. Uh, there was a guy in Jamaica running a scam, and he would just call up random Americans and explain that he was from the Mega Millions lottery and that the phone caller had won $15 million dollars in, the, in, the, in, the, in a lotto game, and all that they needed to do was, was wire him 50000 in taxes, and he would release the funds into their account, right? Does this sound, this sound exciting to you? So the problem was, and I think the guy's name was Keneal Thomas, if I remember correctly. So he was just calling up random Americans doing this. And do you guys know that he, he randomly called the former director of the FBI and the CIA, William Webster? Can I just say that it didn't go well with him? As soon as he landed at JFK, there were some guys waiting to pick him up, and they did, and he went to jail. So, so if you're going to scam someone, you probably don't want to scam the former director of the FBI and CIA. Just saying, and you probably don't want to scam uh, you know, God. Now, now, some of you push back, and you say, all right, Scott, I, I get it. I get it. I, I know what it says and everything, but that's not really robbing God, is it? I mean, come on. I mean, God's just saying that. He's just trying to scare his people, you know, and he's trying to scare us into giving. I, I think I would say that the phrase robbing God is exactly the right word to describe what is happening. Because robbing God just simply means to take something uh, for yourself that belongs to someone else. Or just to simply withhold giving something that, that rightly belongs to to someone else that someone else rightly deserves. And I think the people of God were doing just that. So how could it be true that we're robbing God? Well, I would say there are a couple of principles at work here and I wanna just take a minute and just highlight these principles. The first one is this, it's the principle of ownership. And what I want you to do is, I, I, want, you to, I want you to find something in your possession right now and I want you to just put it in your hand. I want you to just hold it up. So if you've got a cell phone, a pen, a Bible, uh, just hold it up. Go ahead and just hold it up, okay? All right, you guys got it? Very good. A watch would be really good. Okay, hold that up just a little bit longer. All right, now here's the thing, church. Here's what I want you to see. The principle of ownership says this. You possess it, but you don't own it. That's the principle of ownership. You can put them down. You possess it, but you don't own it. In other words that's not your watch. And you're like, what do you mean, Scott? I mean, I bought this watch. I paid for this watch. I've been checking this watch since the beginning of the sermon. This is my watch right here, right? This is my watch. The truth is you only possess it, but it's not yours. Let me show you Psalm 24.1. I want you to notice what the psalmist recognizes. He recognized the principle of stewardship. And, and, and he says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So not only does the earth belong to God, but everything on the earth, the fullness of the earth belongs to God. The world and those who dwell in, every single person, whether they believe in God or not, belong to God. Isn't that interesting? For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. In other words, the very basis for his ownership of everything in the world is the fact that he created it. And when you created it, when you create it, it's yours. And it belongs to God. So God is the owner of everything. And so, and so everything that we have belongs to God. So listen, when you give to God, you're giving something that already belongs to him. You guys follow me? All right, let me, let me kind of show you what I mean. Mike, can you give me $20? Thanks. Thanks, Mike. You guys give Mike a big round of applause today. So, Now, he was wearing a mask, all right, but he was smiling when he did that. He didn't mind giving me $20. He didn't mind that at all. Was there any hesitation, any regret from Mike in giving me $20? No. You know why? Because I gave him this $20 before the service started. That's why... <laughs> So he was just giving it back to me because it it's in my possession. And that is exactly what we do when we give to God. It already, it's already his. And so you're just giving back to him what, what he gave you in the first place. That's the principle of ownership. Does that make sense? All right, now let me just share with you the principle of stewardship. Well, let me just say one more thing about the principle of ownership. So, so let's just kind of go down the line a little bit. Your watch belongs to God. Uh, Your cell phone belongs to God. The car you're driving home in today belongs to God. The house that you live in belongs to God. The air that you're breathing belongs to God. Everything you have is on loan from God. That is the principle of ownership. Now, the principle of stewardship. The principle of stewardship just basically says, I'm a steward, so God has blessed me with those things, and so I am to use those things to meet my needs and the needs of my family and to be a blessing to the owner. That's, that's stewardship, to be a blessing to the owner. And um, and so that's at the heart of really what what it is to be a steward. Now, you know, we went uh, on vacation in Florida a little, a little while back and uh, we had friends that loaned us a car so we wouldn't have to rent a car, which was really nice of them. And uh, And so what I just... I just try to think like a steward. I try to just have that mindset and everything that I do. So, so the, their car was on loan to me as a blessing uh, to me and my family. And so uh, I noticed the, the tire, the air in the tires were kind of low. So you know what I did? I filled up those, those tires. And then I noticed the car was a little bit dirty. And so I took it and got it a car wash. And then the inside was dirty. So I took it and vacuumed it out, cleaned it up. And then I returned it to the owner because I, I really just wanted to be a blessing to the, to the owner of that car because that car was such a blessing to me. And that's really the heart of stewardship. It's just, God, I just want to be a blessing back to you. I, I just want you to have a great day because you have given me and blessed me so much. Does that make sense? That, that's, that's ownership and stewardship. So, so if the people of God in Malachi's day would have had that as their priority, uh, man, they would have been doing Malachi verse, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Let me, let me show it to you. Look, look, at what, look at what God says. He says this. He says, bring the full tithe uh, into the storehouse uh, that there may be food in my house. Now, let me, let me explain kind of what's happening here. Um, as I mentioned, the tithe was a tenth. So, so the people of Israel were to give a tenth of their crops or a tenth of their, their herds or a tenth of their money, a tenth of their produce, whatever whatever it was, it was kind of kind of wide open there. And so specifically, they were to bring it to the storehouse, and the storehouse was a section in the near the temple, on the temple mount, on the temple complex, and uh, and so the, the 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 storehouse was really the treasury. And so the people would kind of walk by there, and then they would give their offering. In that location of the temple, as they were going to worship God. Now, did God require that because God is some kind of egomaniac where he looks down and he says, Hey, look at all those sacks of grain, look at all those coins, look at all, look how rich I am. Is, is that why he you know, required that? No. You see, the, the storehouse or the treasury went to the Levites, it went to the temple priests. And it supported the priest and their families so that the temple priest could administrate and facilitate the worship of God in a full-time basis. Because you're not going to be able to be bivocational in that situation. You either need to be a full-time farmer or a full-time priest. You can't do both. It's just, it's really too difficult. And so that's really what, what God is explaining here in Malachi 3. And so the principle is this, that when God's people prioritized giving and stewardship, what they were in fact doing was prioritizing worship. Does that make sense? Think about this, that when they gave to the storehouse, they were making the worship of the one true God possible for the entire nation of the people of Israel and even Gentiles included. Come all, come everybody. And when, with they, when they withheld their their offerings and their tithes, they were actually withholding praise and worship from God. That's how big of a deal this is. And so, and so what we see is a clear line drawn from the generosity of, of the people to the worship of God. There's a clear connection there. And so God's very own people did not have that as their own priority and so what I would say to you as your pastor you know when you think about as you think about your generosity and your giving you should express your generosity in ways and in places that facilitates the worship of God and so some of us you know will say well you know I'm so generous you know I I give to my alumni association and I give to the Booster Club, and I give to Cancer Research, and I give to Goodwill, and I give to the United Way. And those things are good. Those things are fine. But your regular, rhythmic, intentional, planned giving needs to be be facilitating and administrating the worship of God. That's where it needs to be. It is the best investment for your money because it's an internal investment. It has an eternal reward. Besides, God deserves your worship. And so that's what he was asking the people. That's that was the priority that the people were neglecting. Now, here's the last thing, and it's the promise, and you see it in verse 10. This is this is an amazing promise when would you, would you just think about what he's saying here. No, notice what he says. So he says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby, notice what he says put me to the test. this is the only place where you can test God. So he says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Do you hear what he's saying? He is begging his people, will you just trust me? Will you just believe me? Will you just test me in this? See, there's a connection between testing and trusting. And it's an expression of our faith. It is, a, it is a literal stepping out in faith saying, God, I'm giving this to you because I'm trusting you to return the blessing back to me. I am trusting you to provide for me and my family because I recognize that you're the owner of everything. And I recognize I am the steward of everything that you have given to me. So, so this is a promise God's promising that he is going to open the windows of heaven and out of these windows of heaven come, you know, the absolute blessing of God. It's a tremendous promise for the people of God back then in Malachi's day. And I would submit to you that it is a promise for the people of God today as well. Now you're like, "All right, Scott, where are you getting that from?" Well, I am getting that from the fact that there are numerous corollary promises to this one in the New Testament. I'll show you one, Hebrews 11:6. The writer of Hebrews says this, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him now here's what I want you to notice again the Christian life is a life of faith and that when we when we you know when we have faith in God it pleases God and it what it does is it produces spiritual intimacy and vitality in my relationship with God and what he does is he rewards those who seek him with that kind of faith and I think that is, that is the corollary verse. And so what this passage is saying is God will bless you, dear Christian, as you trust in him, as you steward him, your, the resources God has given you. And I, I think you could kind of say it this way, that just as there was a physical storehouse on the temple grounds, there is a spiritual storehouse in heaven. And God wants to throw open the windows of heaven and pour out those blessings in your life and in mine. Now, you know, now I, I know what some of you are thinking because I've done this long enough to, to kind of know um, how, how we kind of view this kind of thing. And, and I know that if we were just honest, we would say, you know, I would do that, Scott, if I could just know up front what God's going to give me in return. If I could just know that, boom, I'm all in. You know what I mean? And uh, it's kind of like, you remember the fundraisers you did in elementary school? And so you're raising money for PTA and they gave you candy bars to go sell door to door. You know what I mean? And then they give you these brochures and they say, if you sell 10 candy bars, we will give you a free pencil sharpener. And you're like, oh my goodness, I got to have that thing. And if you sell 20, you get a pencil to go with that pencil sharpener. You know what I mean? And like, if, if God would just do that in the church... Man, everybody would give, right? Like if you give $100, he gives you $200 back, that, you know, that kind of thing. And that's how we typically think about it. We want to know what we're getting ourselves into, don't we? Now, church, really what that is, is it's prosperity theology. And it's all over the United States. It really is. And it basically says prosperity, the prosperity gospel teaches that for every dollar you give to God, he's going to give you 2 or 20 back. Or if you give $500 to God, he's gonna heal you of cancer tomorrow. And I'm just telling you as your pastor, it's a scam. It's a manipulation of God. It's a a manipulation of God's people by preachers is what it really is. And so prosperity preachers get it wrong because it's not God giving you $1 for every 50 cents he gives you. It is is really God giving, giving you more of himself for every step of faith you take in your relationship with him. It's God pouring out him, himself, his presence, his love, his grace, his peace and joy in your life. And so what we see is when people walked with God in faith, the earthly storehouse produced worship. And when, and when people walk with God in faith, the heavenly storehouse produces wonder. Wonder at who God is, his presence and his love. His joy and His peace in your life. Now, sometimes I think, you know, God can do what He wants to do. So if He wants to bless you financially at a two-for-one rate, He can do that. Uh, Sometimes... It might be in the form of giving you an unexpected tax return or a refrigerator that lasts longer or, you know, a promotion at work. Or, you know, sometimes it's a friend letting you use their condo you know, at the beach so you don't have to pay for that. He can bless you in any possible way he wants to because he's God. But here's the thing you can take to the bank. that when you walk in faith and you give to God, you, have, you walk away with more of him. And I'm just here to tell you that in the age of anxiety that we're living in today, you can't put a price tag on the peace of God in your life. And in the age of division and strife, you can't put a price tag on having the love of the Holy Spirit flow through your life into the lives of other people. In the age of materialism, you can't put a price tag on just being satisfied with the things that you have. And so, and so we walk away in freedom and security and joy and peace because we have more of God in us. And you realize, man, I'm satisfied by the bread of life. Now, let me just close with this. A lot of times people will ask me about this passage in Malachi 3.10. People will say, now, Scott, are we, are we supposed to be giving 10%? Um, sounds a little high to me. Are we supposed to be doing that? It's kind of an Old Testament law, right? Um, here would be my answer. What did Jesus give to you? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't give you just 10% of himself? What did he give? He went all in. See, the truth is this God doesn't want a portion of you, He wants all of you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, we praise you and uh, we thank you that when we walk in faith, that heavenly storehouse produces wide-eyed wonder. Wonder at your love and your presence, your power and your goodness. And so God, I just ask that you would just increase our faith in the, in the area of finances. Lord, we're, we're reminded, Lord, You don't need our money. You already have it. You own everything. And so so God, I just pray that you would grant us faith as the people of God to trust in you and that we would be a people that, that are overflowing with you. And Lord, if we have you, we have everything we need. You're not going to let your kids go hungry. You're not, you're not going to let your kids go without. And so thank you for being the bread of life. Thank you for being the water that quenches our deepest thirst. And so just grant to us the grace to be the people of God you want us to be today. And I pray that, that our church would be a place where people come and worship. They worship God, the living God. They walk with God. And it's because your people are here trusting you, surrendering to you their entire lives. And So we thank you for all of this. Thank you for taking us right where we are. In Jesus' name, amen.